This play is a classic because it's a beautiful story about strength, growth, and love. This play is a classic because both Amelia Rosselli and Olga, her artist main character, are badass women. This is our history. This is our legacy. Hello and welcome to This Is a Classic, the Expand the Canon Theater Podcast. We're your hosts, Shannon Corinthian, curator of Expand the Canon, Hedgepig Ensemble member, and all around performer. And me, Emily Lyon, the Associate Artistic Director of Hedgepig Ensemble Theater and curator of Expand the Canon. And we're here to introduce you to some plays by women that are classics. Expand the Canon is a program of Hedgepig Ensemble, a Brooklyn-based company that reimagines the classics, creating a legacy of storytelling with gender equity at its core. By investing in the growth of our artists, we nurture an inclusive and collaborative community that creates artistically excellent and relevant work. What play are we here to talk about? We are here to talk about Amelia Rosselli's Anima, also known as Her Soul. If you put The Seagull, A Doll's House, and Mrs. Warren's Profession in a blender, you get this thoughtful dramedy about a woman's true value. Our charming protagonist, Olga, is a successful painter, a wit, and it turns out a victim of sexual assault. Revelations of her past subsert her romantic future and ultimately lead her to end up with a kind man who values her soul rather than her body. Anima, or her soul, reminds us of the negative implications of patriarchal norms on both men and women. Step into this quirky, disarming, and award-winning play for an examination of who we're really seeking. We will put sort of a, a content warning here. This play does deal with sexual assault, and while it is done with grace and ease and love and kindness um if that is a triggering theme though again there are no particularly graphic depictions of it just putting that out there that that is what this play covers and i would argue a play written just before 1900 talking about sexual assault in a really thoughtful nuanced way is one of the reasons that this play is a classic what is this play really about it truly is about Olga, um, as we as we note, um, who is an artist. She's a, a, a seasoned artist. She's getting acclaim in her field. And she's in love with a man um, who loves her back. But unfortunately, when he discovers that she is not technically a virgin, uh, she was raped when she was 15 years old. He no longer wants to marry her because she's not pure. Uh, and that was one of the huge standards in around the turn of the century of how you chose a wife. So despite the fact that they love each other, he leaves her and ends up marrying the younger sister of his good friend, Giorgio, who is inexperienced and was flirting with him 
at the seaside before they came back to real life and he like sort of dumped her to go back to Olga but they end up getting married and Olga heartbroken deeply heartbroken by the fact that this man Silvio that she loved and who she said she wanted to give her soul to abandoned her for Mm. the quote purity of her body she goes over to her friend Giorgio's and ultimately is like well i'm i'm ruined i'm going to auction off my soul and all that comes with it to the highest bidder and the men all sitting around a table you know are sort of jokingly taking her up on this bet and giorgio eventually offers everything i have oh it's very it's actually a very sweet moment at the same time she has trust issues as you might after uh, understandably yes and so when Giorgio says you know sends everyone away she's like okay do whatever you want and he very sweetly tells her that she's safe he you know lets her put herself together a bit um, and sends her back home in a cab and so a year and a half later Olga and Giorgio are married and they're taking great care of each other. They're happy together. Olga has actually, like, helped Giorgio spark our literary career. He had, like, been writing. Um, Supporting your partner. Yeah. But finally, she's like, get this together. This is really good. So he's finally about to publish a book. And Silvio and Giorgio's sister, now, again, also married, um, come over. And Silvio is heartbroken that Olga is happy and basically he isn't because he's never once had his wife's soul. Yeah. I mean, Hey, he let her go. She grew without him. Yeah. And Olga and Giorgio grew together, which is what's so beautiful. So Silvio as the husband of Giorgio's sister, the two of them are, are visiting and his sister has Graziana is flirting with another man and Silvio is heartbroken seeing Olga look happy and they talk. He's like, well, don't, don't you have anything to say to me? And she's like, no, he's like, you don't hate me. She's like, no, you, your rejection taught me um, to value this other man who really saw me and valued me. Um, And so of course, why would I hate you for that? I should thank you. Silvio being, let's be real, like a self-centered dude, um, is like sort of baffled by that his wife comes home having flirted with this guy mm-hmm. um just like taking the horses out you know yeah, good for you graziana yeah uh, well sort of not really i mean well it's more like you you are married you took a vow and um, maybe not flirt with other men but like silvio was also not the best man either so no yeah, yeah. uh anyway silvio realizing that he doesn't have olga's soul or graziana's soul takes takes a dramatic turn so you'll just have to read to find out all the details yes olga has a beautiful monologue silvio has some really great monologues you are introduced to this you know i hate saying strong woman because what is a strong woman i think all women are strong true, true, true. um but this brave woman this woman who knows who she is who is bold who is funny who is witty who is everything you want um she goes from being grounded in herself, losing the sense of her own value for, for a moment based on something tragic that happened to her. And then 
really gaining the happiness that she deserves and feeling confident in that. Um, And that journey told just before the turn of the, the 19th century with beautiful language that is so contemporary. It is translated by Natalia Costa Zalasau in collaboration with Joan Borelli. It is a beautiful translation as well. Yeah. But everything about the language of this play is is gorgeous and does such justice to this tale. 100%. I mean, shout out to just translators in general who have to work hard to, you know, bring mm. the magic of the original text to a translated work. But yes, this is definitely a beautiful translation. And it's it's a hard topic, but dealt with, again, I don't, it, it's not dealt with lightly. Yeah. But it's also not... Um, throwing this topic in your face i would say you know frankly as a victim of sexual assault i really identified with the main character and her beautiful monologue which we'll hear later and how how much humanity is put into a storytelling how much humanity is put into this storytelling around this incredibly tough topic to broach yeah that we really still don't address enough this is still something that's going on so pervasively and and it's not a topic we discuss and so i think we should be putting this play on a lot more stages and having really thoughtful talkbacks having really thoughtful panels and doing thoughtful productions to remember that what matters is not necessarily the purity of your body or your body at all but what's satisfying is having someone's love having someone's soul yeah 100 percent. i definitely agree the conversation that needs to be had i think there are a lot of plays out there that we're continually producing over and over and while they may be entertaining to watch they don't really broach subjects that make us think about our lives and reflect our reality. And like you said, this play does it beautifully and should be done and should be done with talkbacks and should make us think about what we value. And if it is our bodily autonomy, and this is going on right now in some states and they're fighting for their rights, if it's body autonomy or if it's just love of each other. And the answer to that is love. Always. Always. I mean, we should have our body autonomy, but, you know, that shouldn't be ruled by other people and shouldn't be defined by other people. We should have it all. We should have it all. Yeah. And what I will say is, like, Amelia Rosselli is an activist of sorts. You know, she's taking on this conversation. Mm-hmm. And actually, Anima, this play, her soul, Anima, whatever you want to call it, um, it's her first play. Oh, my God. I didn't know that. She wrote it at 28 or potentially earlier. Um, she, We know it was performed in 1898, and I don't know officially like when she penned it. But we know that she was at least 28 um, wow. when it was performed. So wow. that's amazing. Wow. Um, but amazingly, um, in her time, she was actually recognized for her talent. Uh, it was performed in Turin, and it won a national prize by the Italian state. So her first play was an award-winning play and people were like, yes, we acknowledge that you're brilliant. The other thing that I love about how this play came about, um, in in the text of the play in the second act, they refer to another play called The Rights of the Soul by Giuseppe Giocosa. And his play was actually in conversation with a doll's house. Oh. Yeah. 
Ibsen's a dollhouse. I guess he'd either seen or read. I don't know. But Giacosa is considered a major figure in Italian drama and in the late 19th century. Um, and so he had written this play where the, the heroine doesn't have children, but she does leave her husband in order to have a, a like a purely spiritual love with another man. Okay. And that kind of concept of spiritual love, platonic love was really like on on brand at, at the time. Like that was a really hot topic. Um and so Amelia's like, well, whoa, whoa, let's <laughs> let's talk about this yes. and engage in what that really means and what that really looks like uh from a woman's perspective this makes me think of um there's kind of a movement going on or maybe people are shedding light on platonic marriages that are going on if like people marrying their best friends and predominantly women marrying their best friends to gain the benefits but also to just be around someone that you truly care for and love but there's no expectation of anything else and just it's pure friendship which departs a little bit from anima her soul but definitely is in conversation with what we do for love and you know what giving our body means in a marriage i a actually had not heard about this trend yeah. but is fascinating and b actually giorgio and olga have been really good friends since ever right and he just happened to fall in love with her at some point and she in the, in the very beginning of the play he is he's saying like well but I do love you. Do you love someone else? And she finally admits like, yeah, I do. But she says that she loves him too and cares about him. Um, But at the top of the play, like in a slightly different way than she cares about for Silvio. And she doesn't even want to admit that it's Silvio. Oh, the drama. The drama drama is so good. (laughs) But not overblown, you know, in in such a hot topic like this, it could be. And it's just not. It's done so tactfully. Like you don't feel at any moment that, like you said, that the message is being spoon fed or that, you know, it's too in your face. It's very much just authentic and and true emotion. And it's it's hard. Which is why we need women writing plays about things that affect women. What a concept. I, do we? <laughs> Crazy. Right? I know. But yeah. So if you're thinking about doing a doll's house, maybe do this play instead. And have a very fascinating talk back at the end. Please. History. So, all right. So back to Amelia's life. Yes. Um, so this was her first play um, performed by... Uh, the company of actors Teatro de Arte. Ooh, that's a famous one. Yes, I know. So good on her. Um, she really she won did... all the things with this play. She, I know. Well, again, it's a great play. Yeah. <laughs> Ultimately, she wrote seven other plays: Illusion, The Fixed Idea, The Friend, and those are more psychological plays. She wrote A Burst of Wind and Daddy's Partner which are comedies that critique society, especially around the generation gap mm-hmm. and younger generations fighting for their rights. Um, so really this like continued kind of activist thread. We love a good social commentary. We do, we do. And then her last two plays, uh, San Marco and Emma Leona, both are really in this world of like patriotic fervor post-World War One. Uh, Amelia Rosselli had three sons. She married Joe Rosselli um, and had three sons, Aldo, Carlo, and Nello. Ooh, they really like the O sounds. They do. They do. Italiano. Italiano. That feels very Shakespearean too of like Malvolio. Well, he loved Italy. Mercutio. He did love Italy. He did. He did. Although, yeah. Well, anyway. 
Another another topic for another podcast. Sure. Sadly, Arlo died in World War One, so her her sense of patriotism was really kind of kicked up by that as well. And those were her her final plays. Later, as Italy's politics are shifting, um, her two sons Carlo and Nello were anti-fascist activists. Yeah, I was going to say I'm surprised that um, you know she would be so into. Italian patriotism in in this book modern drama by women 1880s to 1930s an international anthology where we found this play and have read a number of their other excellent plays so shout out to that book um it says both of these plays reflect the patriotic fervor of the period of world war one in which Rosselli lost her oldest son so that actually doesn't necessarily mean um either way it's just reflecting on patriotic gotcha, gotcha, fervor. Gotcha, gotcha. The point is that she had some political plays yes. and her sons following in her activist, thoughtful footsteps were anti-fascist activists. Unfortunately, both, both of her sons, Carlo and Nello were assassinated oh, in 1937. No. Heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking no. for her. And um, she doesn't, she doesn't write any plays after that. She don't blame her. Right. She, she does write a number of other works um through her lifetime she published short stories and books for children and translations from french but she completely gave up her literary career after after both of her sons were shot i mean that's really hard it's like you dedicate your life to this activist lifestyle and and policies and to making the world a better place and you end up suffering so much for it and i think that's true for activists before and activists today we give you know we give so much to a cause burnout is real yeah Luckily, though, her sons did have children already, and her grandchildren followed in her footsteps. So Carlo's daughter, born in 1930, is the other Emilio Rosselli, and she ended up being a, a noted Italian poet. And Nello's son, Aldo, named after his brother, also became a writer. I mean, the genes were clearly strong in that one. Yeah, well, it's right that like back and forth of of activism and literary chops. Yeah. I think she's an incredible woman, an incredible writer, and this play is a classic. I mean, clearly why it's on this list, you know. I think you can see her activism and her her emotion and her stance through her writing. And again, shout out to the translator because they mm. were able to make that translate. Ha ha ha. But yeah, you could really tell that she stood for something. It's just so, it's so beautifully done. Um, and that's and her so first play. Lost. This is her first play. Like, that's so exciting. She, she really had a good head on her shoulders. That she did. She had a great soul. She had a great soul. <laughs> <laughs> and now here's a monologue from Anima performed by Madeline Addis. Please note this monologue does come with trigger warnings as it talks of sexual assault. If you'd like to skip it, please go ahead four minutes. Take it away, Madeline. Don't cry. I beg you not to cry. I should have told you earlier it's true, but I always hoped that you were different than the rest, and then I couldn't live without you. It was my terrible destiny. I was just an innocent girl. You understand, I was just 15 years old. What could I know? They took me, just like a flower is taken from a meadow, just like that, just like that. Do you think I wouldn't tell you the truth at this point? Wait, I want to tell you everything. I was in the country 
where they had sent me after my mother's death. Oh, my saintly mother. I was with good folks. They treated me like their own daughter, and to keep me busy, they made me tend a small flock, which I led to pasture every morning. Oh, those long, solitary hours. I thought about my dead mother, about my far-away father, about our house to which I hadn't returned, not even once. What sadness. And he... He would come sometimes and sit next to me. We didn't talk, overcome by the heat. Oh, I remember. I remember. That day. All of a sudden I saw in the boy's eyes a dark flame, which scared me, and without knowing why I started to run. But he ran after me. Reached me. Oh, Silvio. The horror of that act, committed unconsciously. The disgust with myself, the terror of others, and that constant feeling of regret and shame, the immense anguish over the irreparable evil. How many tears of humiliation I shed. But then, later, there was a sudden flash of light in the darkness of my childish mind, and from the bottom of my heart the echo of a voice, confused and terrible, calling out to me, why do you humiliate yourself? Why do you humiliate yourself so? Don't you still have something which no one can take away from you unless you want to give it away? Come on, lift up your head. You poor, crying girl, you still have a soul. A soul? A treasure all mine that I possessed without knowing. A sacred virginity over which I had to watch. No, no, don't cry. It seemed to me that I was able to see it. A white, a pure, innocent, and mine. Only mine. And I swore to myself never to contaminate it. I had a maternal tenderness for it, a maternal pride, and I thought about the man who would receive it one day and who, as the first and only one, would write on it his adored name. Yours. Silvio, yours and no one else's, ever. All my thoughts are for you alone, for you, all of them, including the most secret ones. Who cares about the rest? Isn't that right, Silvio? Why don't you answer? Will you deny me that which God promised me when I was a poor, ignorant girl, Silvio? Just one word! So I was right when I cried. I was right. Thank you so much, Madeline, for this wonderful, wonderful performance. This play is a classic. It, it speaks on a hard topic using beautiful language and... Um, representing a victim in her own strength, if that makes sense, which I think is so important and was so important at that time. Absolutely. And, you know, rereading this play again today, I was reminded of how much every scene is a really beautiful scene. Yeah. Um, you get these really vibrant characters 
I think there's just so many good, so many good moments, so many good one-liners. Yes. So many, just so much humanity in this play throughout that that's, for me, what makes it a classic. Unfortunately, this is a timeless and timely issue. And another reason why it's a classic, we can identify with this message still and it is relevant in our conversations. I also think there's some amount of, you know, we have a lot less of a focus on specifically virginity now that maybe even a layer of that distance helps us see kind of the underpinnings of the conversations we are having, right? Like it's not about virginity at this moment, but it is still about like slut shaming. And it's still about like this, this desire for someone's body, but it really is like setting these dynamics of like maybe animal need or this lust or power um against against what is really fulfilling in any of those moments which is a a sharing of souls a sharing of of moments and of humanity and also just olga's a badass she is a badass like she's a successful painter who you know makes decisions after what has happened to her and and then ends up on top and ends up helping her husband at the end. Like, you know, when you get to be in that position that you're so successful, you get to be the person who helps your partner. I think that's so beautiful and, and powerful. Yeah, share the wealth. I don't always want to bring it back to Shakespeare, but until we change the canon enough yes. that everyone's like, oh, yeah, it's sort of like Olga in her soul. Right. Like, that's the reference. I do a little bit feel like maybe Olga is who Beatrice would be if Beatrice was into <gasps> painting. Oh, my God. I love that play. I love Much Ado. But yes. So there's my pitch. Well, also, to your comment about Shakespeare, that's what we're doing this. So everybody, read these plays. Do them over and over again so that this can become the reference and Much Ado can be a side reference you know yes we had somebody audition for hedge pig with a <gasps> monologue out of this play that's you know that's how you do it that is so smart that is so it, smart it was so smart and it was a really good monologue um so shout out you know who you are and thank you but it was beautiful <laughs> yeah. it was a beautiful moment of like yes this is why we do this because this is a great monologue amazing well Thank you for joining us for our anima edition of This is a Classic, the Expand the Canon podcast. Learn more at expandthecanon.com. For info on what's up next, you can follow us on Instagram at Hedgepig Ensemble Theater, Facebook slash Hedgepig Ensemble Theater, or join our mailing list at hedgepigensemble.org. You can also support this effort by donating at the link in the comments below bit.ly slash hedgepig memberships. Again, I'm Shannon Corinthian. And I'm Emily Lyon. See you guys soon. Woo! Woo! It's a classic. It's a classic. <laughs>